When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, welcome back to the podcast, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ben Bolin. I am a video writer here at How Stuff Works. And I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com also. And uh, today... We're going to get to a little bit more uh, listener mail. Listener mail. Yeah. Love love listener mail. Are we actually going to uh, take a listener suggestion? We are going to take a few listener suggestions. A Once few. again, I did this last time as well. And um, I think we're going to, uh, yeah, we're going to answer maybe as many as three listener mail uh Suggestions. I like what you. I like what yeah. you say, Mr. Benjamin. Yeah, you know, they used to call me Ben Multitask Bolin. <laughs> so well, I do it just to knock off some of these, uh, some of, some of this extra yeah. work I got laying around. So this is a, this is a good way to do it. I'm going to get through to three, not yeah. rid of, but you know, take care of three mm. uh, three suggestions here. Let's let's get All into right, so, it. So uh, from July of this year, and also from September of this year, and November of this year, we had uh, three listeners that wanted to hear about concept cars. Concept cars. Yeah, concept cars, and basically, um, all three of them wanted to know about um, why is it that concept cars really don't quite make it to production? Why don't they, Why isn't it that oftentimes they don't make it? To production? Oh, what a good question! And uh, yeah, I thought so too. And and also, why you know what? Why don't they make it to mass production? Why are they? Um, why do they lose a little bit of their cool? Was another one, right? Um, so we've got one from actually. Why don't they make the production? Was from uh, GL Man, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know where GL Man is from, but um, it was one of them. And then we've got one from Gabriel, which is in September, and that's the one that wanted to know why they don't uh, or why they lose some of their cool when they finally do hit mass production. Because sometimes you see elements of the concept car, right? And it looks a little bit different or a lot different. Like you might see it on a newer model of an existing yeah. car. Yeah. And uh, so that was Gabriel. And then uh, Deming also wrote in and Deming said, I uh, just wants to know what our favorites are. And um, isn't it a shame that they aren't really, you know, regularly produced, I guess. Oh, it's a crying shame. Are you kidding? I agree, because I I love concept cars. And to me, 
that's often why I'll go to an auto show is to uh, to see the concepts. And I think a lot of people are the exact same way. Yeah, because you want the you want to see the newest thing, especially when we consider. Now I know I've said it before, Scott, and I hate to I hate to bring it up again, but it is true that a vehicle of any sort is a significant investment. Even if you're only even if you're buying a, an older used vehicle, you are expecting that you will have it around for a while and you'll take care of it. And of course, everybody wants the the coolest thing possible. So it's really fascinating to be able to walk into a dealership or a car show or an exhibition of some sort and see uh what was the one from I think it was earlier this year or the end of last year there was that concept car that had fabric covering it oh yeah the, and was um, able to shape change change the shape uh, BMW Gina mm-hmm. was it it was definitely BMW. The uh, shape-shifting car. Oh, man. That was cool. Hey, that was pretty cool. The fabric with the motion below it to uh, – did it have a top or was it um, – oh, the doors. I think the doors were unique, too. They yeah. didn't have any hinges. I did may have had hinges within, but there were no seams on the There doors. were no visible. When it closed, you it, you couldn't see the seams. It was crazy. That was yeah. a neat car. And so, I, I mean, I completely understand it, but, again, I think uh, – let's see. Gabriel asked, right, why these vehicles – why these concept cars lose some of their cool when they mm-hmm. go into production, it sounds like what actually tends to happen is that features from the concept cars make it rather than the cars themselves. You're exactly right. Is that yeah, right? It's not, it's not always right, but you're, you're on the right track here in that um, it's – I guess we have to explain what concept car is. Basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I'm jumping but, the gun. But no, no, not much because um, concept car – you'll hear them called show cars. You'll hear them called concept cars. You'll hear them called – uh, prototype cars, right? And maybe even there are other terms out there. I'm just like giving you top just three proof here. of concept. Yeah, or but but the idea behind them is that it's a it's a test bed for the engineers and designers, and that uh, it it allows them to get these ideas. It's a free flowing idea. Um, it's a brainstorm, really. Yeah. That um, all these people get together and they decide, you know, what they're gonna what they're gonna build, what the what the purpose of this project is. We'll go through the steps in a moment here, but um, once they know what that what that's gonna be. Then they're able to really just kind of go to the outer limits of what they what they can do, mm-hmm. and that's the cool thing about this is that when you see a concept car, you're seeing the possibly what you're going to see on real production vehicles in the future, if not the entire body, the entire vehicle, um, or new name plates or, or badging rather, um, you know the names of cars. Let's say that, um, well, like okay, this isn't brand new, but um, the Mustang. Remember the uh, the excitement that was around the Mustang concept that came back, you know, the, uh, yeah. the, well, the one that we see on the road now, right. It looks like the throwback version, the retro version. Well, that was eventually, that was originally a concept vehicle in, um, I want to say 2005. Um, I have it in my notes here somewhere, but, um, so it actually made it. It, it did. It made it actually 2003 was the, uh, the Ford Mustang redesign. Mm. And, um, then of course there's the Camaro, which we saw recently as well. Right. right. And that drew a lot of excitement. So there's, you know, it gets, People buzzing about you know the, a certain product, a certain uh, certain manufacturer. I'll and tell you what looks like a concept car a few what? years ago, and I know I'm interrupting you. I am sorry, but That's right. it has to be said. The Prowler mm-hmm. that looks like a concept. It car. was a concept car. The Prowler was a concept car in going down my notes ninety three, nineteen ninety three. Oh, you're good, Scott. Did you're make good. <laughs> I got a big long list here. But, okay. Um, the uh, and I don't you're, know that you're made into production. Mm-hmm. Again, yelling at their uh, computer screen here, but um, 96, <laughs> right. 97, if I had to guess, 98, sure. somewhere in there. Um, anyways, mid mid to late 90s. And um, again, that was just an outlandish car that people thought 
you know, they would never produce this. Plymouth, Plymouth would never make this. Right. And, um, yeah, they did it. They, they, they did. Uh, they were able to do it. They so they were able to sell them. They too. did the same thing with uh, Dodge. Did the same thing with the Dodge Viper in 1989. You're right. Do you remember the stir that the Dodge Viper caused in 1989? Yes, and I. You gonna tell me how old you were? No, you were three. Mm, yeah, I was something like that. I, you know what? I'm gonna just come clean with you here on the air. I was 34 in 1989. <laughs> come on. I take a lot of vitamins. Yeah. I you exercise. S- you seal yourself in Tupperware when you sleep? I seal myself in, well, we don't call it Tupperware because it's a brand thing. Oh, understood. Yeah. Um, Airtight container of a generic sort. <clears throat> Scott, there are a lot of shady people looking for people like me, you know, who, yeah. who age so well. So we should probably just not mention it again. <laughs> and I think. Well, you're genetic perfection. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not genetic perfection. Let's, <laughs> let's not go too, let's not go too if far. If you were 34 in 1989. Yeah. I don't have any idea how old you'd be right now. Uh, tw- uh, 54. 54. See? You can't yeah. tell. You can't, no, it, can't it's tell. surprising. This yeah. is a toupee. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, uh, uh, but to go back to, um, to go back to what we were talking oh, about. Thankfully. Yeah, yeah, Please yeah. Do. Um, when the Viper did come out, I was actually too young to drive and, I just remember thinking it was a car straight out of a comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it looked like a superhero's car. Yeah, it was outlandish. It was, yeah. a, it was a big, powerful V10 engine. I know. Um, I didn't even. It was amazing. Um, and, you know, not only that, it well, sure, it became production in, I believe, 92. Right. Eventually. And um, eventually, yeah. So a few years later. Um, but it also even had, that one even spawned spinoff cars, spinoff concept cars. There was the Dodge Copperhead, which is very similar design. Um, the Copperhead uh, had a V6 engine, I believe. Okay. And um, then Copperhead never really went anywhere, didn't make it. But they did then offer a Dodge Viper that had the Copperhead package, which had uh, the unique coloring and some I know, see. interesting attributes. Some like cosmetic that. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Copperhead treatment. Let's go through, I think the best way for us to show our uh, listeners here, the, or rather, I think the best way for us to explain to our listeners why there is such a high attrition rate for mm-hmm. concept cars making it through the, the thought process. Do you, do you think maybe we could go through the steps of making these cars? Sure, yeah, we can do that. And that's, uh, it's mostly, mostly it falls down to the, it falls onto this. Um, did I say that right? It mostly it, it comes down to this. Okay, that's <laughs> something it, like that. The bottom line. Yeah. It, if if it, if it fails, well, then they can just shrug it off as it was a test, and you know we got uh, we got some media out of it, and you know we had, we had a vehicle in the show, and our engineers had a good exercise, and they get information either way. That's right. They get information either way, and maybe maybe an element of that car is, is good, and it and it goes on. If it's applauded, if you know the the media loves it, the uh, the, pre- the the people attending the shows love it, it draws a lot of attention. Um, you know, the, it it appears on magazine covers, etc. Yes. Um, then they might push forward with it. And I mean, in these cars, you got to remember they're they're millions and millions of dollars because they're they're one vehicle that the company's building. It's it's not a cheap car to make. Any right. any prototype, any concept car, is a one of a kind, and it's it's all hand formed, handmade, everything. Unless they're, they happen to be taking from another platform, like they may be using the chassis and the, uh, and the, the rolling platform, let's say the, uh, the engine, the transmission, the, you know, the drivetrain from another platform vehicle that they have and they're, they're building up on top of that. Which is done. That is done often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's because that's a time, that's a money and time saver because mm-hmm. to develop a brand new car from scratch 
that takes a lot of effort. I mean, it, the amount of time that that takes, by the time you got to the show that you wanted to attend, if you could make it to that show, right? <laughs> you probably wouldn't be able to make it because it, it would it would require so much lead-in time or lead time that you probably wouldn't make it for whatever date you're trying to shoot for, and your car, your your concept would look dated at that point. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's easier to start with uh, a good base. Now, big manufacturers have a have an advantage there, whereas the one-off companies, you know, they... Uh, that you know they they have a little bit more of a struggle in being able, able to turn something around quickly and being able to fund this vehicle and it's kind of their one shot and hope it works. Well, plus also, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's dude, you're reading my mind because for the smaller car manufacturers, basically everything they design is going to be a concept car mm-hmm. until they can somehow leverage it into a production vehicle. Yeah, that's right. And I I'm trying to think of a good example of that and just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of um, maybe Aptera. Um, they had a, they had a vision. They had an idea of what they wanted to do. They built a vehicle. Um, I don't know. I don't have any idea what that original vehicle cost, but they were then able to to shop that around to investors and you know make people believe in what they were doing. And uh, now they're they're getting ready for production now. So um, you know they're they're able to turn that into dollars and hopefully mm. we'll be able to turn that the dollars into production and get the cars coming out of the door. So technically that's one concept car that did make it into production. That's one, but there's actually there's several examples, but most don't make it. Right. These are very few exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Generally to this rule. Yep. And maybe another reason why, well, here, let's talk about, we've got a, we've got a, the steps, right? Yeah. We got the steps here and uh, this is, there's a, um, just kind of an, an order of events that kind of have to happen. I'll just give them to you real quickly and, and kind of a loose idea of what what these involve. Um, you got to figure out first what what your audience is, what you want to achieve with this vehicle, what, okay. uh, what the what the goal is, and what you're trying to accomplish with it. Like we want to sell this car to pirates. <laughs> yeah, only <sure>. pirates. <laughs> pirates only. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah. Hey, I, I uh, yeah maybe. <laughs> Maybe this is my application for Ford right now. Perfect. Yeah, good, good work. This is your best. Uh, brainstorming. Then you go into uh, where the group, you know, kind of mm-hmm. gathers together. We do that here for ideas for articles and sure. um, podcasts, whatever. Um, so you just you kind of throw around ideas and you choose whatever works the best or what everybody agrees that would be a good idea for, you know, what you decided in the first case, which is, you know, what do you want to accomplish with this design? Uh, then you go into just a sketching phase where, you know, they, they, uh, they draw it out either – you know, it's either on paper, it's CAD design, or, you know, it's just, there's a lot of different ways to do this now. So the sketches are the next step because that's not terribly expensive. It's still expensive, but not, mm. not terribly expensive. You get your designers working on it. This is the, uh, and still at this point, even a lot can change. They can say, I, I hate that. Let's mm-hmm. get rid of it. Let's start again. This isn't what we thought about. You know, we thought it was going to look like scrap it and start over. Or they could say, I really like that, but change this. Sure. And, uh, there's a lot of that throughout this entire process. I mean, it, it changes. I would guess right up until the point where they're putting together the final show vehicle. Yeah. Um, the next step is a modeling stage. And the modeling stage is where they make either scale models, uh, which can be put in the wind tunnel and tested just like a normal, you know, a full-size vehicle can. Um, there can also be clay models, which um, can also be scale, which is usually what the, the way they do it first uh, for this model stage. Um, and then there's also um, a – you can do a tape model, which is a, a – chart paper that's on the side of the, like on a wall. You've probably, I don't know if you've seen this or not, maybe in um, photos of design studios. They have a, uh, it's like a big piece of graph paper on okay. the wall. Huge. And uh, they do a full scale 
um, tape outline of the vehicle on the wall. So you get an, a feel for the height of the vehicle, the, the dimensions of it, the, the way the body's going to look, but it's two-dimensional. It's very flat. Um, again, it's just tape on paper, on graph paper. And this can be changed and moved around uh, so that you know you can decide if you want bigger wheels on that car, you want uh, you want the uh, the fender flares to go just a little bit higher or lower, um, the roof line, every everything, any any aspect of that that profile of the car, you can change at that point. Um, so again, just constant change or continuous change throughout this whole process. Uh, the next step, um, there's only six here really, but um, the full size uh, clay model. And you've probably seen clay modeling before. Yeah, and it's so it's still interesting to me though that they do a full size mm-hmm. in clay. Mm-hmm. Well, the idea Why? is that clay is easy to manipulate, easy to easy to take away material, easy to add material. Okay. Um, it's it's unlike let's say if you did it with styrofoam, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. They do that, but um, that's the smaller models. Um, if you if you take away styrofoam, it's a lot more difficult to add styrofoam to that model than it is to uh, to add clay. Right. Um, you know, I don't even know if you can add styrofoam to a model once you've, <laughs> once you've done that. So um, clay is just you know just happens to to be a material that lends itself to this type mm-hmm. of design. So uh, they still do full scale clay models that they then sometimes they cover them with. Uh, with decals and make them look like a real vehicle for photo shoots, whatever. Right. You'll see them with completely blacked out windows because that's clay behind there. And the thing <laughs> weighs, you know, it's it's sort of hollow. It's built on a on a frame, you know, maybe even styrofoam and wood. Um, just a, you know, just a um, kind of like a crate almost that it's built on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not solid clay, but um, it's very very thick. And then and then the final car. So once they've decided that you know they like mm-hmm. the uh, like the design. They have to figure out how they're going to make this, bring this to reality. Because the clay is all about shaping the car and getting it exactly right. The mod, when you're actually building the car, that's when it, you have to get every individual piece figured out and put together. Like that's how, a doozy. Yeah, exactly. How am I going to make this uh, this unique hood design work? How mm-hmm. am I going to make? Um, well, okay, that's that's a great tailgate, but um, how am I going to make the latch that works for mm-hmm. that? Because you know there's going to be interference here with this glass. And oftentimes um, they have to take the ideas that have never been done before, mm-hmm. and this is the part where they actually do them, where they say, okay, we are somehow going to hinge this door to this part of the car. Exactly. Yeah, and they've got to figure out, how the heck am I going to do that? It's never been done before. Yeah. Um, so the benefit of, of this stage now uh, that the designers and engineers have is the um, the computer Aided design, yeah, um, and there's a lot of different. It's not just CAD. It's it, there's a lot of other types of. And there's CATIA. There's all kinds of different um, um, systems that that allow you to to do this digitally before you actually do a physical model, and um, you know that that way that that way you can figure out where interferences are going to happen. Let's say that hinge doesn't work right, and mm-hmm. the body contacts the body in another spot. Um, you can change that before you even make one hinge, um, so that you know it's. It, it's exactly right when you build it the first time, and that's something that um, you know they didn't have in the past. Designers didn't have in the past. Yeah, I imagine um, that so, must have been difficult. Yeah, it had to have been difficult. I mean, look at uh, we we talked about the Mako Shark a long time ago. Yes, remember yes. the uh, the 1950? I'm stretching my memory. 59 Stingray concept. Yes, the silver car. Yeah, um, that car. You know, of course, when they went came to building the real car, that had to build that all by hand and they didn't have the additional help of, you know, the, the computer programs that they have now. Mm-hmm. So that was just trial and error until they got it right. And hopefully they got it right the first or second or third time. And that's where the guy kept coming back and saying, no, change the paint. No, that was actually the Mako shark, right? That was the, the Mako uh, shark. Oh, did yeah. I say the Mako shark? I meant, um, 
I guess the one that the precursor to that. Um, in anyways, that you're yeah. you're right. That was another concept car. That was uh, a couple of years later, sixty two. Okay, I think it was, and um, or sixty one. Uh, the fifty nine concept, I believe. I got my notes here somewhere. I've that, got notes. That was the Stingray. That was the Stingray, and um, it, same thing, man. Same thing. You're you're exactly right. Um, oh, thanks. It man. was just <laughs> a lot of that became production, as we talked about with the Mako Shark. The make this is your example, mm-hmm. the Mako Shark. It it became reality in the 1963 Corvette. And you could see it. I mean, you clearly see where that came mm-hmm. from, from that vehicle. So a lot of these happened that way. The Dodge Vipers won the Prowlers and other Plymouth Prowler. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a, you got a list here? here. Yeah, but let's, let's do it. Wrap. Let's do it. Wrap it. I want to well, hear I mean, the greatest here's, hits. Here's some that, that didn't make it. I mean, there's uh, oh, gosh. there's okay. like the 1997 Mercedes F 300 life jet, which is a three wheel tilting, Machine thing. It looked like a motorcycle, kind of, with a, a full body around it. Oh wow! Um, let's see. There was, uh, of course, the Camaro made it, which is now. Um, there was the Ford Reflex in uh, 2006. It kind of looked like a Crossfire, Chrysler Crossfire, a little bit. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the E, the second E in Reflex was a three. Some kind of weird name. Reflex. I remember that. Um, probably we already talked about that. 1998. Um, I think it was. T Rex was it Dodge? I think it was Dodge. Made. That's the three wheel as well, right? That was uh, six wheels. Six wheels. Six wheels. The T Rex. You're oh, you know what you're thinking of? You're thinking of the motorcycle car, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking. I'm talking about a uh, truck. There was this huge truck that had six wheel drive. Wow. Um, two wheels in the back, and they weren't like the the uh, I guess they call it a dually design, right? Where they're side by side. This was one wheel in front of the other one. So if you looked at the profile, there were two wheels in the bed of the vehicle. And then one up front, you know, where the normal, where the, uh, in the cab area. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's interesting. It was really cool. And it, it had, um, I think it was a 500 horsepower. It had a 26,000 pound towing capacity. <laughs> and uh, again, it had six wheels or three per side. So it was this enormous work truck. It was a really, behemoth. Jeez. It was huge. It was really huge. Um, of course, the Caliber was a concept car at one time. And that's kind of the next generation neon. That, that yeah. became reality. Uh, the Nitro was one. Um, Magnum SRT8 was a concept at one point. Really? Chrysler, Chrysler 300C was a concept at one point. Wow. Um, I, I've got a lot of Chrysler here because that's the site that I went to and I'm familiar yeah. with that, with that brand. But, um, Ford and, and GM, they have just as many and there's, you know, concepts coming from Toyota and Honda and mm-hmm. all over the place. Every manufacturer does concept cars. Some do it with a little more style than others. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, Citron. Citron has, Amazingly, just beautiful, yeah. beautiful concept cars. They're they're gorgeous, but they look so outlandish and they're just so so out there that the likelihood that they'll become production is very slim. Um, well, you you could just kind of tell when you look at a vehicle, right? If it's going to happen or if it has a chance at making it or not. Mm-hmm. How close to production is it when it when it is a concept car? Exactly, that's exactly it. Because I was thinking of this as well while we were talking about. The different cars that have and have not made it yeah. from the limbo of concept mm-hmm. to, you know, actual mass production. And one thing that's very interesting is oftentimes the absolute favorite outlandish, and I think that's a perfect word for it. The absolute favorite outlandish, uh, concept cars are never going to make it into production because it's a huge risk to try to, you know, to get the, let's say you, you threw around the number, Couple million, right, yeah, or well, something like, like that. fifteen million, or something right, like that. Right, because we're at a point where we're realistically not building something to sell it. We're building something to prove to ourselves that a concept works, or that we can give our engineers a sandbox. Really, sure. yeah. And so, if here's a good example: um, 
Saturn had one called the Flex. Uh, I'm sure a listener will correct me. It was like the Flex Wheel or Flex Fire or something. Mm-hmm. The the main thing that I remember about this concept car is that it had a clamshell trunk. Clamshell, oh. excuse me, my Tennessee <laughs> is coming out. And uh, and so one one half of the trunk could open independently of another half. Really? Yes. And that's a cool idea. I loved the idea just for ease of use. But the problem is they're never going to be able to sell that for realistically because there are new parts that have to be involved. You know, there's a lot of new parts. Right. There's not really an infrastructure for it. And every time I think that every time a concept car is defeated, you know, or ends up being one of those fallen soldiers on the way to production, Mm -hmm. it it's okay. Not every time, Scott, that's not fair. The majority of the time, it is because uh, there's not a way to produce it in a reasonable, um, at a reasonable price point, because of the parts involved or mm-hmm. something, or it's just too much of a risk to throw an entire, a, an entire factory behind it. Right? Yeah. True. True. And um, you know, make a good point that you know a lot of times they, a lot of times they do end up as these fallen soldiers on the way to production. That's a good way to say that because. Um, the pieces may the pieces may make it unattainable, may, right. maybe make it something that they just can't do. Um, but a lot of times it's just public opinion and press opinion, and yeah. um, you know, just saying that I just don't like it. I just uh, um, for whatever reason it doesn't doesn't strike my fancy, or that's a bad design because, like the one that you're describing right now, mm-hmm. what I thought of initially was. Well, there's another seam right in the middle of the car that, you know, it can leak. Right. Uh, there's another, that's, that's you know, a good point. It's another, yeah. it's another thing, you know, point where water can get in my trunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure that wasn't the case. They probably designed it so that it was watertight. And of, of course, you know, that it had a good sealing system, but sure. I don't know. There's, there's always going to be something that someone's going to nitpick over. And maybe they'd say like, well, you know, it's a good thought. Let's maybe, uh, incorporate that into a different part of the car. Like maybe we can turn that up on its side and use that for the door design. Right, um, the way they overlap, or however that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Public public opinion plays it, you know, heavily into this. Sure. There was in nineteen ninety. This is a funny example. Yeah. In nineteen, I'm almost done. Really, I promise. Oh, yeah. In uh, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. They uh, Pontiac had a concept car called the Rages. Okay. Rages. Pontiac, the Pontiac Rages. Okay. And I happened to be there. I was at the press thing or whatever. Yeah. You know, I worked there, and. um <laughs> One of the press people said the funniest line I may have ever heard. I, I still remember this all the time. All right. He said, because it, it was called Rageous because it was supposed to be outrageous, right? Rage, oh, Pontiac, my Rageous gosh. It was for wow. outrageous, right? Wow. So the guy says, they shouldn't have called it the Rageous. They should have called it the Diculous. <laughs> and I thought that was a perfect line. Like, I, you know, it's like, ridiculous. Okay, yeah, instead of being the Rageous, it should be the Diculous. <laughs> you know, right away, you knew what he was talking it's about. It's like that Homer Simpson card. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, well, the Homer. The Homer. The Homer, yeah. That's, uh, it, it was, I don't know if the Rageous. Was it really, was it really Diculous? It, you know, it was, yeah. Wow. It was. Whatever, I could see it when I saw it. When I was there, I, I saw it, yeah. Ridiculous. It's funny. And, you know, not to disparage them or anything. It was just another shot. You know, it's another attempt. Yeah. At, and who knows? Maybe there are parts from the Rages that made it into other Pontiac production vehicles. Right. I, I just don't know because, you know, the, it may be something really, really subtle that, that eventually made it into production that people did like. Right. Or, or the exactly. design was great. Um, sure. So that happens. It happens a lot. And that's, that's a good positive place for us to put this because the answer to the question kind about why these cars may lose their cool, why they have such a difficult time getting to production is that 
they actually do make it in different parts. They partially make it because they're all, they're sort of a mixtape of concepts, you know, and some of these concepts, like some songs on a mixtape, are things that people enjoy listening to or using. This analogy is confusing me. I think I'm, I'm talking myself into a corner. <laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'll get you out of it here. Yeah, yeah, get me so out of it. Yeah, they, it's, it's true that, you know, there are a percentage of these things sometimes make it through. Yeah. It's not always all of them. And when you look at, when you look at a car on, on the auto show floor, you can determine, you can almost see it. And, mm. and there's some that are a little more outlandish than others, but you can kind of tell which ones are nearly production ready. Yeah. I mean, some of the cars, when they come out for their, their unveiling, some of them are pushed out. You know, they don't have an engine. They don't have an interior. They're just a, a shell of a car and it just rolls out. And that, and I've seen cars pushed onto the stage before. Um, I've seen others make it out on the stage in their own power and have to be pushed back. But <laughs> they, I've also seen them pushed because they don't have an engine. They don't have a transmission. Right. They don't have the, anything. Just the body. No interior, just the body. Then there's other, there's another stage where they have an interior. It looks like a real vehicle. You know, they've, they've put their designers on the interior yeah. as well. Um, another good exercise for them, you know, to, to determine what yeah. to do the next vehicle, but, um, but maybe it doesn't have an engine. And then there's another step where it has everything. It's a fully operational concept and it's built on another platform probably because that's a really expensive one to make right there. Sure. When, when you're starting something from scratch, unless that is going to be your next production vehicle. And this is a, this is for a, sure. A, yeah, yeah. And this is something that you've really gotten behind with millions and millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, this is in development. This is going to happen. I got, a, I've got a perfect way for us to end this and maybe go into some more listener mail. Oh, great. Here. Okay. So. I'm, I wasn't just pull it, pulling it out of thin air when we were earlier talking about the steps to get building concept cars. Another thing that can happen that can stop a concept car from getting to production mm-hmm. is just like you said, public opinion. Somebody who maybe has been with a concept project for two years or something, all of a sudden in the showroom, smacks their forehead and goes, holy crap, pirates use boats. Why would they want a car? <laughs> You know what I mean? There's there's this fundamental misunderstanding of an audience. Yes. I would hope that somebody <laughs> caught that earlier, but uh, you never you ne- know. Things you never like know. You never know. You never know. They Look, may, uh, the Edsel yeah. <laughs> kind of flew close to the, the sun like Icarus. Yeah, and, very good. Very good. Yeah. You brought it complete full circle there, Ben. And I think... I'm impressed. Well, thank you. I hang out with a pretty impressive uh, podcaster uh, that came out. <laughs> uh, who's cool. that? They got uh, some stuff you should know? Just well, kind of, yeah, like, you know, they're cool too. They're of cool course. too. They're of cool course. too. Um, I, I was talking about you trying to oh, you know, try to throw a little positive energy your way. I'm blushing. Do you want to do some listener mail? I would love to do listener mail. Okay. We'll keep this, uh, keep this pretty brief, but John from Toronto writes in and he raises some great points, Scott. Uh, he says, and I think this is more a question for you. Uh, he says, a while back we were talking about maintenance and oil changes. You talked about changing your oil every 3,000 miles or 5,000 kilometers because he's Canadian or six months. What's with the six month date? When you start to use your oil, does it start to break down on its own? For instance, if it takes nine months to drive 5,000 kilometers, is that bad? That's what he's asking. So he's, it sounds like he's basically asking if he doesn't drive 3,000 miles in six months, should he still change his oil? I've always heard 3,000 or three months, but that's the oil manufacturers. That's the oil. Um, so yeah, you got to take that. Also, mm-hmm. you got to read your owner's manual. It's usually a longer period of time between oil changes, but yeah, there is a time limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there's a mileage limit or a time limit and whichever you arrive at first, it's like a warranty. 
Right. Uh, right. It's mileage or time. Uh, so yeah, if it's been six months, you need to get it out of there. Just clean it out because it's just, you know, the sediment or whatever. I don't, I don't know why, if it starts breaking down on a molecular level or what happens there, but, um, there is a time limit on it. You don't want to run old oil in a car. Um, it's just a bad idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, really. I, I don't know exactly the reason why, why that is, why the time limit. And again, maybe it's just <laughs> to sell oil. I don't know. Sure. I'll have to, I, I'm going to have to investigate that a little further, but honestly, there's always, there's, it's, it's always paired with a time limit as well. And mm. again, just, just talk to your manuf, the best thing to do, call the manufacturer, find out what the recommendation is for the time limit on your, on your oil, because, mm. you know, they may say bring it in, of course, because they want to sell you an oil change. Right, right. But, um, Get a reason why. Talk to talk to the mechanic and say, you know, why why is it that I have to change it every six months, even if it's just sitting in my garage? Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people have weekend cars that never get to three thousand miles in, sure, in a year, yeah. even, and uh, you know they may have to change the oil twice. Um, it's just what you do. That's a good point. Yeah. We also, had, I'm sorry. Oh no, I was going to say that um, the the duration of time and the um, um, distance is a lot greater if you start moving into semi-synthetics or mm-hmm. full synthetic uh, oil. So I'm thinking that you know maybe there is something with um, the standard organic oil that does break down a little faster than the semi-synthetic or the, or the full synthetic oils. What a good point. Makes sense, right? I mean, I think you can even stretch, don't quote me on this, but I, I thought that I've heard numbers as high as 15,000 for um, synthetic oil, 15,000 miles. What's really interesting is John also points out that he's been reading that in Europe they don't change their oil nearly as often so it's every 10 to 20,000 kilometers no kidding yeah really but, so that's 6,000 uh, was it 6,000 to uh, 12,000 miles yeah on organic like. oil uh, he does not specify the kind of oil I, I, I think that's that, what you're talking about I bet that oil is black when it comes out of there I imagine I so I think it would be I imagine but, so but uh, if they're pushing it that long then uh, save a few bucks I guess that's about it for us today. Um, but what a what a good topic to leave this on. Um, for any listeners, uh, do you guys think that this oil thing is an exaggeration by oil companies? Do you think that it is a good idea to run a car that long without oil? Or are there any other uh, popular rules of thumbs about cars that you would like to hear us answer? Run it without new oil. Run it without Sorry, new oil. Sorry, I had to jump in because it's a yeah, bad idea to, to run a car without oil anytime. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, the, the, without uh, new I'd oil. I'd be real interested to know about the time consideration. Definitely. And, uh, you know, why Why is it Why is it six months? Why is it three months? I'd, I'd be interested to know that. So if anybody knows, hit me with it. And what's that email address? That email address is highspeedstuff at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.
Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.